Good morning, church. Romans 12, 3 through 13. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Acts 2:42 through 46. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. I um, I want to. We're, we're finishing up today a sermon series. I, I took some time a few weeks back, or a month ago or so, and, and took some time to really begin to seek. You know, God, what, what do you want for us? Normally, if you're a first-time visitor or if you're a visitor that's been here the last few weeks, normally we go through the scriptures line by line. We we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We've been there for a couple of years now. <laughs> So we're going uh, sometimes painstakingly slow, but again, you know, God's word is a depth, it's a well, it's not a puddle. And so we're diving into it and, uh, you know, seeing what God has. God really was laying on my heart to take a little different path for a, a period of time, and so I've taken a break from that. We have been in this sermon series. I really felt like God wanted us to go into this time of being rooted. What does that mean, and how are we to, to let our roots grow? Roots are where a plant gets its sustenance, it gets its strength, it gets its nutrition from, and therefore it's important for us to realize where our roots are, are, are feeding us from. You know, what, what, what are your roots going into? And so I wanted that because the, the, the next series that we're going to go into is going to be a little deeper and probably more controversial because in, the, in September and October and probably into November, we're going to start a sermon series called Behind the Curtain. Kind of like the, the, my view of that was kind of like the Wizard of Oz, you know, Behind the curtain, who's pulling the strings? What's really going on? What's happening in the spirit realm that's having this effect in the natural realm? Because our, you know, the battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and the principalities of darkness. And therefore, what's happening in this realm of darkness? What's happening in the spirit realm that's creating such havoc in our world? So, so much ungodliness. 
And so we're going to spend some time going through that and breaking that down. What are the spirits at work? What's happening? And, and to be quite honest, I, I, my feelings were if we don't have a church with some pretty strong roots, we're going to lose a lot of people. Do I like that? No. Is pruning sometimes healthy? Yeah. But I, I, I look around and I think, but God, who would we want to prune? No one. So I want to take the time to really, you know, let's dig our roots into what it is that God calls us to dig our roots into so that when things get uncomfortable and you're being confronted with things that are changing the way in which you think or the way in which we see things or the way in which culture views things and you're being confronted with some of those things and you go, wait a minute. You won't be part of what the last days says will happen and that's that great falling away. So we're going to take time to do that. But today I want to finish up this final sermon in, in this series called Rooted. Discovering where God longs for our roots to go down into. What it is that he's called us to do in developing deep foundational roots. Have you developed those things? It's important. And then helping people, helping you, helping me to understand how do I do that? And that's why we've been sharing this. I, I want my roots to go down, but I want my roots to be found in the grace of God, in the love of God, in the nature of God, in the heart of God. So that's what we're, where we've been. And we, we looked at, in the very first week, and just a real brief re recap, we were talking about being rooted in sharing. That every single day God has put you on this earth. He didn't take you out when you were saved because he has some people that he wants you to talk to. Every single day there's people that God wants you to share the gospel message. There's people that God, need, that God wants to put you in contact with so that you can tell them about the life and about the death and about the resurrection of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a difference he's made in your life. Your testimony is powerful and he sent you to go out into this world as an ambassador. You are no longer of this world. You're in this world, but you're no longer of this world. You are of another kingdom. You are of the kingdom of God. And you're here in this world as an ambassador to represent him to this world, not to represent the world to him. The next week we talked about what it is to be rooted in faith. That, that faith and rooting ourselves in faith, that's where transformation comes. When we begin to believe God, his word is true, his word is true and ours isn't. That God's word is always the bottom line to everything. And it's by faith that we take those things and we apply those things to our life. And when we begin to walk by faith, Faith pleases God. And when we're walking by faith, applying God's word in our lives, applying what God says in our lives, we begin to live lives that begin to bring joy to our life. We begin to find a life that's fulfilled with purpose and reason. We begin to live lives that honor God. And when our lives are honoring to God, we will find that we are a blessing to the people around us. Amen. Then we talked last week about rooting ourselves in prayer, rooting ourselves in Bible study. Listen, you have to be, you, you need, you have to be in God's word. You know, I know that this is a cliche, but this is true. If you're not getting into God's word, God's word's not in you. 
Get into God's word until God's word gets into you. And, and I gave you a challenge. Listen, you, without prayer and Bible study, you cannot spiritually grow. You are still just, you're, you're still just coming on Sundays hoping to get a, a drink of milk. Hoping to just spend a little time, uh, you know, again, I don't want to be disgusting, but you know what I mean. You just want a little sip of milk. We're not babies. We need to grow up. We need to begin to grow and continue to grow. And the only way you're going to grow spiritually where you can stop depending on mama for your milk is to start taking it in yourself where you start teaching yourself to eat. Amen. And you have to do that. And you're, there's only one way to do it. Consistency. Cause these patterns of cadence in your life that are pressing into the word, pressing in in prayer, learning to what it is to have a life that's a, you know, consistent and constant in prayer because it's the only way that you're going to grow. And God created you. He, left, he saved you and left you here so that you could grow. Amen? Amen. Today, I want to body that God has given rooted in community. And he longs for us to be rooted there. He's given us the church. You know, and, and again, so many of us, you know, we were forced to go in so many different ways. And, you know, we, we, we find that for many people, church is a curse. Oh, I got to go to church. Oh, I got to go here. Oh, I got to go there. Oh, I got to go. And, and, and I've said it before. It's like, you know, I don't know. I, ha I have to go punch my time card. Because when I stand before God one day, I want to have a time card that's full of church attendance. I'm sorry, but that's just the wrong motive for church. Well, I just go and I don't get anything out of it. What if you weren't supposed to? What if you were supposed to give something to it? What if God's purpose for you was not to come and to just, to just be all about you, but what if it was to be about all the others around you? Sing on? You know, um, I was thinking about this as I was reading this uh, article, and, and um, you know, one of the places that Joni and I have always wanted to go was to um, the Redwood Forest. Never been there, always seen it, always thought I'd love to go there. One day, we are going to go there. I have this dream of, of I want to go jogging through the Redwood Forest. I just see myself I'm on a path running through the forest, and... Hey, I, one of my dreams was to run around Jerusalem, and I finally got to do this this last year. But as a, I just want to do that. And so I've never gotten to, we've never been there, but we're going to. And I've seen the pictures. I mean, these giant redwood trees, how amazing. Did you know they are the largest living thing on earth? Some of them up to 300 feet tall. 300 feet. Some of those trees are 2,500 years old. That is absolutely amazing. Well, you would think, and again, I've only seen pictures, so I, I, I'm not going off experience yet, but you would think that with these gigantic trees, 300 foot tree, that there would be hundreds of feet deep of roots that would be there. You, I mean, how in the world does a 300 foot tree stand up in the, in the California weather? Well, when I was reading about that, I was shocked to find out that they actually, a redwood tree, does not have that deep of roots. 
that the roots don't necessarily go down deep. What the redwood trees do is the, tr- the, the roots all begin to grow together and the roots intertwine with each other. So the, when the wind comes and the rain comes and the weather changes and the lightning and the storms, those trees are pushed. But you know what holds them up? All the other trees that are all around it. And those trees just hold each other up because their roots are just intertwined. And when the storms come, they can't be pushed over because the other trees are interlocked with it. And they're doing life in such an intimate way that those trees stand because of the other trees around them. But that also means that every tree in that redwood forest is vitally important to the life of the other trees. Church, every single one of you, every one of us, you are vital to the life of the church. You are vital to what it is that's going on. And again, part of that's for the church, but God never intended you to navigate life alone. God never called you to be a lone wolf. In fact, if you're a wolf... If you're a wolf, you're really, I mean, let's just be, you know, the God's honest truth is this. If you're a wolf, you're not welcome. Wolves in sheep's clothing, that's going to infiltrate the church. And they need to be driven out. Why? Because they eat sheep. Do you know what a lone sheep is called? Dinner. Some of you may call it bait. God didn't call you to be alone. He never made us to do life alone. The Bible very clearly talks about, church, how God's design in, through Scripture, God's design for the church is fellowship. God's design for the body of Christ is that we would be connected, Amen. intertwined. Do you know that there are 59 commands in Scripture, at least 59, that talk about one another? where it is impossible for you to fulfill those 59 commands without one another. We need each other. And God made it that way so that we would connect together, so that we would be able to intertwine our roots, that we could be rooted in a community where in that rootedness we would be a blessing to others. So again, maybe the church isn't necessarily about how you might be able to be blessed, but in the love of God, in the nature of God, in the call of God for your life, that you would then be a blessing to the others that are around you. Listen, God's ways are higher than ours. His ways are different than ours. This is how we impact the world. This is how we make a difference when the church begins to come together, to stand together, to be together. This is how we impact the church, but it's also how we impact the world. How, how does the church impact this, the, the community that we live in? It's by being the church. Amen. Not just going to church. God's called us to stand together. So how do we do that? How do we put our roots into community? The first thing that you need to understand is that you need to know your part and you have to play your part. You have to know what God's called you to do, what God's asking of you, and then you have to do it. Come on, you have to actually do it. 
This, this is one of the issues and problems in the church is that we can come and I can tell you how shorthanded we are in one area or shorthanded in another area and we'll get a list of people that will, that will sign up and I've talked to the staff about this because if we don't get back to you within like just a day or so, you, I can't do it anymore. Like God changed his mind. You got to know your part and then you have to consistently play your part. Paul understood that this, this power of, of living in community. And in the book of Romans, he was encouraging the church. He's encouraging them to play their part, to be their part, to do what it was that God was calling them to do for the family of God. And, and the words in Scripture, listen, and, the, and this is one of the things I'm going to talk to you a lot about when we get into the behind the curtain, is that the Word of God is not about what God did, and it's not even about what, what, what's happening. It's about what always happens. And the word of God is just as relevant to you and I in the church today as it was to, as he was writing to this, these, these here in the church in Rome. The, the Roman church in chapter 12 and verse 3 through 8. Let me just recap this. It says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Now again, he's talking to the church and he's talking to everyone that was in the church and he was talking to everyone in that church there and talking to everyone in this church here. So listen to what it is that the Apostle Paul wants you to have because this is important. He doesn't say, hey, I want you all to, hey, listen up, listen up. He said, oh, I got something really important that I need to tell you. And the important thing that he wanted to say is this. Not to think of himself more highly than you ought to. Well, ouch. Either you said ouch, or you said, you tell them all, Paul. <laughs> but think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Come on, amen? Yes. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Look, there are gifts that God's given. Use them, he says. In service... If service in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads in zeal, the one who, act, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. This passage here from Paul gives us basically really one of the absolutely most valuable lessons or words of advice that he that we could find in all of scripture and it's not to think of himself more highly than he ought to but to think with sober judgment paul's saying hey you know what Think of yourself with sober judgment. That means, you know what? Stop wanting what everyone else has. Stop thinking that you're going to do what everyone else is doing. Stop coveting what somebody else has or what somebody else's job or what somebody else's responsibility or what somebody else's body part or place is in the church. Stop doing that. Stop looking to that because that's what happens oftentimes in church. He says, have sober judgment or a self-evaluation, assessment of where it is and what it is you're gifted to do. 
Stop looking to what everyone else is doing because that's what was happening in the church in Rome that day, in that time. The people, they were getting saved, but they weren't being redeemed or restored, basically, or to walk out their salvation. And so everybody's wanting to do the the big job. Everyone wants the popular job. Everyone wants the scene job. I know that, I mean, there are some of you that would never want to stand up here in the pulpit and preach, but there are others of you that in your mind you think, well, I could do way better than he does. And, you know, the truth is this. You probably could. But God's put me here. And so this is my part to play for right now. And so while God has me here in playing my part here, what's your part? To sit back and covet my part? You have a part to play. Stop looking to what somebody else is doing and look to what it is that God is doing for in you. What is the sober judgment? What is the self-assessment that you can have? Because again, the same problem they were having is the same problem that we still have today. Everybody wants that upfront job. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be thought more highly than what they should. We still struggle with that, to live in a community that feels like we shouldn't promote ourselves. I, I want to be this, and I want people to see me as that. And, and so we promote ourselves over others. And again, sober judgment or self-assessment does not mean that you degrade yourself. It does not mean that you put yourself down. It does not mean that you're worthless, that you don't have value, that you don't have a place. It absolutely means you have a place. It means that you sit and do what God's called you to do because you have great value in that place. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, to see ourselves in the value that he's placed on our life, in the position and place that he has for you to fulfill. When, uh, I know you, you may, some of you may find this hard to believe, but when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones. We, we didn't have computers. This will blow some of your minds. We had a phone that you dialed, and it had a cord on it. And so every conversation you had was in the kitchen in front of mom and dad. So when we went camping, we did not take our cell phones, we didn't take our tablets, because we didn't have them. You know what we did? We had to take puzzles and games. And so we would all sit on the little picnic table and we would put together a puzzle. And so that was always, you know, fun, and, and we would, there would absolutely, we'd have this competition in that puzzle putting together and we would all sit around and everybody was looking for that piece you know that special piece that would connect things together that piece that you needed to be able to go to the next level and so we'd all look for that piece and, and you know the satisfaction when you find a puzzle piece and, no, and everyone's been looking for it and you slide that puzzle piece into place and it just goes Shoo. yes as glorious as and getting to the end you all know where mom and dad brought an old puzzle Y'all know where I'm going. And you got to the end and there was a piece missing. Ah, that's horrible. Why? Because the puzzle's not whole. It's missing something. When you guys came in today, 
I had the ushers and the greeters all give everybody a puzzle piece. And I want you to look at that puzzle piece because this puzzle piece that you have in your hand is extremely important. See, if we want to put this puzzle together, every piece is necessary. Did, you, did anybody lose their piece? Did anybody lose their puzzle piece already? Oh, uh, some of you can't find your puzzle piece. Wow. If you need one, Curtis has them back there in the back. Let him know. Although that first piece is gone. But to put this puzzle together, it takes every single piece. And if any pieces are missing, it's not a whole. It's not fully put together. And church, do you know this puzzle and these pieces, and I wanted you to have a piece because I want you to realize that this represents you. And if we take this puzzle and we put this whole puzzle together, as I did, this is what it makes. See, this is the puzzle that you are a piece of. And this is an illustration of the reality of what it is and who you are. You are a vital piece of this church. And without you here, a piece is missing. Oh, well, I haven't been for a while. I don't care. What it just means is the piece has been missing for a while. And thank God, you know the feeling. I, I lost one of the pieces and Joni got down on her hands and knees and, um, and she found it underneath the, uh, uh, the little table and, and it was like the piece I was missing. And so it was so cool that she found it. Hey, maybe you once were lost, but now you found it. And God's put you back, and he's brought you back, and he's restored that. You're a puzzle piece in this church, the church as a whole, but also in this church as new life. And Paul, you know, he explained why this is all so important, because God has gifted each and every one of you, each and every one of us with different gifts. He's given each one of us different gifts so that we could fit together and make this whole. Some of you are gifted with skills and talents and things that God has given you, and you haven't even begun to tap into it. But God has given you the gifts for this, so that we could be complementarian. That we could come together to complement each other. We are not egalitarian. We are complementarian. We come together and complement each other. God didn't give us gifts so that we could compete with each other about them or through them. He gave, them, gave us gifts so that we could come together to make a body, to make it whole. Because church, alone, this is a, a, alone we can go fast. Together we can go far. With our kids and grandkids. You know what? Traveling with kids, it takes a lot longer. <laughs> but generationally and with, in legacy, traveling together, we can go way farther. And the same in the church. You, you know, you can run the race alone, but you'll never go as far as we can go together. The, the church is a body. And it has hands, it has feet, it has ears, it has eyes, it has lips, it has toes, all, all of those different parts. And church, without one of those body parts, without one of them, 
something's missing. And when something's missing, I want you to see this. When something's missing, the other parts suffer. And again, that's not to bring condemnation. That's to build you up. That's to let you know, not, oh, you should have this. No, that's to let you know how deeply valuable you are. That you're needed and God has something. And there's different gifts in the church. There's different gifts that each person has. Some of you have a prophetic gift and you need to work and operate in that gift. You need to use that gift. You need to speak out. You need to get that prophetic gift, bring encouragement to people's lives. Some of you have the gift to preach. Some of you may be teachers. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift to be incredibly generous. You know, some people are better leaders than others. Does that mean that somebody's better than the rest? Absolutely not. It's just something different. Some of you that are our leaders do not have the gift of mercy. And some of you that are overwhelmed with the gift of mercy, God didn't call you to lead. <laughs> You'd be going where everyone wanted you to. So it's just different. Whatever it is that God has placed inside of you and every single one of you, God has placed inside of you gifts. And every single one of you, you need to know your part. You need to seek the heart of God. Seek with sober judgment what he's called you to so that you can find that and then by the power of the Holy Spirit begin to do that. Do what God's called you to do. And church, he very clearly says you need to do it this way though, humbly. Humbly do that. And when everyone does that, the church becomes a witness to the love and the power and the unity that's found in Christ. The church becomes an answer to the needs of the people around us and you become a vital part because you are a vital part of the church. Because church, listen, the church is not the same without you. I uh, was reading the story about a, there was a woman, she was, uh, she was homeless, she was traveling through the, the, some hill country, some wooded forest area and she came to this little community and she was hungry and tired didn't know what to do and the people suggested well go to the church they're, they're going to have a church service go over to that church and so she went to the church and the church was in a, a wooded area and it was you know just set back into the woods and it was this little tiny town and the church was dark she couldn't figure out why the church is just dark. And so she's standing there at the church. She doesn't know what to do. And she looks, and, and, and it's like out in the woods, she noticed like what she thought were fireflies, just little, little fireflies moving through the woods. And they came in closer and closer. And what she realized is they weren't fireflies. What she realized is those were the people from the church, and they were carrying their lantern. And the lantern was what light, lit their path. The lantern is what helped them to see where they were going. And when the people came to the church, one by one, they came into the church and she watched the people take their lantern to a very specific spot that was just for them and they hung their lantern on the wall. And as the people filled up the church, little by little, the church became brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until the church was glowing. With what? With the light that the people brought to church. Amen. What light? The light that lit their path. So after church, she went to the pastor and said, what, 
why don't you guys have any lights in this place? And he said, we did that on purpose when we built the place. First, we couldn't afford it, but we just decided that we wanted the, the church to be lit by the lit light of people that came. We wanted the light to shine in this place because God wanted to use the people to be the light that would shine in this place. And then he said, and the other reason is that when somebody's missing, there's a dark spot. And so we know when somebody's not there. Church, there's a dark spot when you're not here. And he's called you to be the light, not these lights, the light. And when you're not here, there's a dark spot. Amen? Amen. The second point is that love roots us in community. And, and Paul explains there's a motivation behind this. The motivation behind this kind of communal living, this kind of you know, body organism living, this place where we come into these relationships and we can, in those relationships, be a witness to the world. And the bottom line is the motivation for all of that. The bottom line is love. Church is all about love, but not any love. It's all about his love. And as I said a few weeks ago, you will never be able to genuinely love the world until you've genuinely be been touched by the love of God. And when the love of God begins to flow from the branch, listen, it's a one-way one deal. The nutrition and the, the strength, the power, all that flows, it flows from the branch to the vine. It's a one-way give, and you need to be touched by the love of God that flows, and then because of the touch that we have from the love of God, we begin to produce the fruit of love to the people that are around us, to those that are in our lives, to those that are, we begin to show the fruit of that by being touched here. Otherwise, church, it's hard to be genuine. And he says in Roman, in verse 9, it says, let love be genuine, not fake, not, it, let love be genuine. Listen, church, we all try. I don't even want to say it's a fake love. I think we try to love people, but we can't love people genuinely without the genuine touch of the love of God in our lives. And he says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Listen, and then again, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Church, godly love is genuine. And when we genuinely love with a godly love, you will be what the world has, has, has constantly come against the church for. You will be authentic. You won't be a fake or what people then call a hypocrite. Okay, you may not like me, but at least you know I love you. That should be the way in which people see us. Because it fuels us. The love of God will, will enlighten you, it will empower you, it will fuel you up to begin to stand against, to seek out those things that are evil in your life, and to see those things bound, broken, and, hend and hindered in your life. To not allow those things to live in your life. To cast those things out. To find deliverance from those things. To find yourself in this place of destroying evil. We've been given power and authority over those unclean spirits. Why? Because we need it. 
to stand firm and to fight the good fight. Love helps us to do that. And love helps us to stand with others. Love helps us to put others above ourselves. Love helps us to put others' needs as a greater place than our needs are. The same way that Jesus did when he went to the cross for you and me. That wasn't his greatest need. That was our greatest need. And he took the punishment, the pain, the agony of the cross so that you and I would not have to. Even while we were still sinners, even while we were still lost, even while we were still bound in our sins and our, our, our deep decay, he came and he died for you and for me so that our sins could be forgiven, that he could give us what we could not earn in ourselves, what we could not find in religion, what we couldn't find in other people or other things. We couldn't find anywhere because there was no possibility or hope of that. And Jesus came into our hopeless, dark situation and he brought the light and he brought that light to plant in our hearts through salvation and has called you then to be the light of the world. He's called you to come and to shine his light to be a reflection of the light of the world. Say it better that way. But to put other people ahead of ourselves. You know what genuine love will do? Genuine love will make you excited to serve God by serving others. We'll want to. He said to better just, he says practice hospitality. You know what? Practice means do it every day. Practice means you do it over and over and over and over again. It, he didn't say, you know what, uh, wait for game day. He didn't say just on Sunday. He said every day. Practice means you keep doing it and keep practicing it. I don't, it doesn't matter. Listen, he's not talking about you being gifted in that area. He's talking about you being practiced over and over and over again so that we can be good in that area, so that we can be hospitable, so that we can be kind, so that we can be nice, that we can practice hospitality. This is a valuable, this is one of the most overlooked gifts there are in Scripture. And, and I believe that for the church, it's one of the greatest experiences that we can reflect to the world. It's some of the best things I've ever seen or had uh, watched were when people begun to reach out in hospitality to, the, to people who may not know Jesus. Honestly, the way in which people acted out in love has been one of the greatest convictions and convincing arguments in my life to the reality of Jesus. In a, we had a, um, a, a couple that was in our community, and I've told you this story before, so I'm not going to go deep into it, but this couple had two little boys, and these two little boys were coming to our children's church. The couple didn't go to church, but they, they would send their kids on the van, and one morning, uh, the, little, the older brother, still a little boy, was playing with matches and lit the bottom bunk on fire. And this fire spread. He couldn't put it out. And his little brother was in the upper bunk and he burned to death. And um, it was, you know, big tragedy. And it was a, a, obviously a terribly heart-wrenching situation. And as heart-wrenching as that was, I, I didn't know what the church would do or how the church would respond. And um, the church just, out of, not out of obligation, but people just started to reach out. And I watched people just start to love on this couple, on this family in their deepest, darkest time. The church, it was right around Christmas, and the church was, we, we, they started doing, people were buying Christmas presents and dinners and food and get, all sorts of things that were happening. And, and in the tragedy of it all, you know, it was like, I got to witness the church loving on these people that were outside of the family of God. 
And in their deepest and darkest time, and you can only imagine how that affected the family. In their deepest and darkest time, they experienced the love of God through the church. They They knew that they were being loved on. And I don't know where they are today. I don't know the spiritual condition. I don't know, you know, what ended up happening to this couple. But I know this. In their darkest moment, God touched them with his love through the church, through the body, through the body of Christ, by people being hospitable. And at some point or another, that'll come back. That will be something that ministers to their life. Because listen, when we demonstrate God's love to people, it changes things. It changes people. It changes circumstances. God's love changes things because it makes the invisible God visible to those who don't know him. That's that love. How do we, how do we you know, this invisible attribute that's so powerful and so strong and so mighty and so able and so capable. But what is it? It's the genuine love of God being demonstrated through the church of God. And church, in our, in our lives, love should be the go-to. It should be something that flows naturally out of a heart of God. And we should be hospitable. We should be extending hospitality to each other and to those around us. Amen? And the third thing is this. We don't do life alone. Church, we don't. The early church, you know, uh, the, the church that came out of this outpouring here, the church that came after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they faced all kinds of trials. You know, most of the church at this point in Acts were huddled up together because there was such persecution that was coming against the church. It was, a, you know, again, Jesus had just been crucified. The guys are all, you know, basically, you know, hiding up in this upper room in prayer. In fact, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to go on. The Holy Spirit pours out. They pour out into the streets. Peter starts to preach to these people that honestly did not want anything to do with God. And, I'm, I'm, and there's revival that happens in the street that day. But church, they were, they were under oppression. The stress that they had of living in a culture that day that was completely opposed to the faith in Jesus Christ is much like the culture today. We are living in an, in an increasingly aggressive culture that is hateful and has tremendous hatred towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a full-on rejection in the hearts of so many and a kind of persecution, as we talked at the very beginning, that is going to cause many to fall away. There's a persecution that's coming, and, and these people were in that place. Intense persecution. And so out of the necessity that was there, the people, they began to bond together. They began to come together. And they began to help together, helping each other out. Because again, God's vision was for people to never have to walk through and do it all alone. And, and listen to what happened here. All this is going on, and this is what happened in the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. I read that and I see one of the, uh, the absolute clearest, the most honest views of, of, that we could find anywhere else in Scripture about what it was like to be a part of the very first Jesus movement. Because that's what was happening here. And in that Jesus movement, in the book of Acts, we were seeing people coming together. People were gathering together. People were studying together. People were teaching. People were eating. People were giving. People were worshiping. It was, it was a place of fellowship, a place of community. Their faith became central to the very core of who they were in their day-to-day life. It wasn't just a Sunday thing that they were doing. Their faith was core to everything that they were doing. Their faith became core to every day that they got up till they went to bed. It was something that they begun to live. And because of that, they saw these amazing, miraculous miracles that were going on. These things that were happening that, that, were, that were just miraculous. Does God still do the, the, what we would consider to be the big supernatural miracles? Absolutely. But church, I think sometimes we overlook the miracles in our day-to-day lives that we see God doing that we watch and see and hear God in the midst of doing. Endless stories of how I've watched and seen the miracles happen in and through the church, in and through you, because we've locked together, we've intertwined our roots, we've allowed ourselves to become part of each other's lives together. And when that started to happen, what happens is you know, people start meeting the needs of other people. People start reaching out and ministering to those needs. I've watched you meet the needs in our community. I've watched you bind together and, and reach out in ways that I never dreamed or imagined that we could do, with things that I never thought would happen. It's miraculous the way in which God has opened the doors for us to be able to reach out to the community at large, but also to the community of believers that are here, the ability to help people that are in need. It's incredible. I have watched you take care of our elderly. I've watched you minister to the widows and to the single moms and minister in so many different ways. I've watched you reach out and try to help and to protect the kids, the children. It's a beautiful thing to watch. The body does. But the scary reality is that sometimes, and it happens to all of us, church, I'm, I'm This is not a statement towards you. This is a statement that I make with you. It becomes very easy for the church to lose sight of her purpose. To realize what it is that God really has called us to do and losing sight of what the church really is. There's an illustration that I read that um, made the point. Several years ago, there was a preacher in Atlanta, and he noticed in the yellow pages, as he was looking for a restaurant, he noticed a, um, a restaurant named Church of God Grill. So I'm going to check that out. So he called that place up, and he, very friendly voice, Church of God Grill, how can I help you? And 
Well, you know what? I was, uh, your name caught my attention, and I thought I'd call and find out, how did, how did you guys become Church of God Grill? He said, well, we started off as a church, and it was just a poor church. We didn't have much, and we decided, well, we'll start selling chicken dinners after church to make money so that we could pay the bills. And people really loved the chicken dinners. And people were coming, and we were getting busier and busier, and, and it got to the point where we had to cut back on some of the church services because we were so busy at the restaurant. And he said, finally, we just decided to shut down the church, and the name was already attached to us, so we just kept the name Church of God Grill. You know what? I think there's a lot of buffets out there. A lot of buffets who have stopped to really teach or preach what the Word of God actually has to say because people are looking to have their ears tickled. People just want certain bits and pieces from the buffet of God's Word rather than to find, to, to find that, you know what, God, sometimes I'm going to have to take a little stuff I don't like. And there's a lot of churches today that have become buffets, and they used to be churches. But today they're only churches by name. And God forbid, I, again, I don't say that with anything other than humility. God, these are good people, good men, good, uh, God forbid that they're by the grace of God go I. I, I want to teach the truth as God shares it and speaks what he says here, Amen. whether it's popular or impopular. But there's a lot of places that today we see institutions that are maybe just attempting to feed people physically and missing the greater call, the, the real call of the church to feed people spiritually. You know, we at the church, we feed a lot of people. We, we feed hundreds and hundreds of people a week, families. But I don't ever, and I will never let us become a food bank that has a church service. We're a church that has a food bank because we love people and we care about people. And God's opened doors for us to be able to do that. The miracles that God has provided for us to be able to give out all of the food that we give out. But that is not our first command. God has called us first and foremost to give people the spiritual nourishment. And many of you are here because first we gave you some food to eat. And you came in here to find some spiritual food to eat. And that is our first call. Yes, we are called to help. We are called to serve. We are called the way we can through the only answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is nothing else that will truly help people. And by giving them food, we're just keeping them alive, hopefully long enough, to where they can receive the life, the, the eternal life that Jesus and Jesus alone can bring. That is a vehicle for here, for what God wants to do in the preaching and the receiving of God's word, for you in hospitality to make a difference in your home, for you through the gifts that God has given you to reach out and to minister to the world that's around you. Because listen, the most important aspect, the element, the most important thing said in this was what Paul said, that the church was added to daily. The church began to grow. Why? Because of a, and you don't have to worry about this, but because of an eloquent speaker? The church didn't grow because of that. 
The church grow, grew because the people in the church begun to take their rightful place, do what God had called them to do in the gifts that God had given. And in that, the church began to reach out and the church began to grow. Day by day, people from outside the church were coming to the church and the church was being added to as people were being saved by faith. Why? Because those people saw people living in a way that was different. They saw people that were living faithfully to God. They saw people whose roots were entwined together in a way that they just longed for, in a way that many people are searching to find, and they've never found it anywhere else. And he, the people saw that. They saw people whose roots were intertwined and people that were then inviting others to come and intertwine their roots. Let's stand together. They saw people that normally would have been pushed over by the wind and the waves that were standing, and they were able to stand. Why? Because I have my roots intertwined. They saw people that were going through difficulties and they found that they had joy and peace as they went through it. And how are you doing that? Because I'm standing with my, my brothers and sisters in Christ and our roots intertwined. They saw people with marriages that used to be troubled and trial that were now being whole and, made, and healed. Why? Because I found a group of people that I could really just trust and love and let our roots be intertwined. And when people see that, People want to be a part of that because that's what people are looking for. A place to belong, a place to be valued, a place where I am a piece of something bigger. Worship team, come on back up, would you? Look, what kind of witness are we sending to the outside world? Look, you know what? It's really cool that New Life has a, you know, a wonderful reputation in the community. I mean, you know, most, because of our outreach and whatnot, most people in the community, there's not too many people that haven't heard of New Life. My goodness, somebody asks for something they need on, you know, Facebook or 411 or, you know, there's New Life, New Life, New Life. So people at least hear and that's awesome most of the time because the good, the bad, the ugly people are watching you we live in a you know we live in a glass bowl and people are watching and it doesn't mean we're perfect please your, your perfection will never win somebody to Christ. It's when they can relate to your imperfections and how you overcame them through Jesus Christ that you'll begin to see people coming to the Lord. So this isn't about being high and mighty and how people would see us. This is about living a genuine life that loves others, a genuine life that has roots that are down in the church, a genuine life that when people look, you can say, you know what, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm not the same way I was yesterday. And by the grace of God, I'm not the person I'm going to be tomorrow because my God is never done. My God is always at work. My God is still doing the great and wonderful miracles, and he's starting with me. I am a miracle. So are we living in the kind of church community that would cause others to want to join? 
look, I, I think visitors and people are coming. And I, again, I, I think this may be one of the very first times this has happened, but I think that first service had more people in it than this service today. Amen. And I, let me just say the same thing to you, though, too, that I said to them. Don't you let the fact that the church is full stop you from coming to church. Well, it's so hard, Pastor Mark. I, I can't get a seat. I can't find a place to sit or I can't get my regular seat. You know what? The problem is that you're getting here too late. If you want a seat, come 10 minutes early rather than 10 minutes late. Oh, amen? There's plenty of seats at 10, 5 to 11. There's plenty of seats. Come earlier and invite others and welcome others and be nice, be kind, be the church. You know, though, today, the, the recent survey said this. It said there are three times as many churches closing each year as there are opening up. Look, part of that's because the whole buffet thing, it's not working. It's not. So what will, what would happen? What would the community do? How, how would, what would happen to your life? What would happen in the community around us if new life closed her doors? If you're like, find another church it's simply because you have not allowed your roots to intertwine with others it's just because you haven't really made this family and that's what this is and that's where you'll find your strength the most dangerous time of a tree for in, a, in the life of a tree is when it's being transplanted because its roots are being messed with let your roots go deep let them go deep right here you're here. You can hear my voice. This is home. This is for you. And you are a part of this. I don't care whether it's your first time or you've been here longer than I have. This is home. And you are the church. Amen. So tape this on your mirror somewhere. Put it someplace. You know, again, I, I know it's a silly little thing. But sometimes people consider themselves to be just simply a silly little thing. And though this may be little, it has huge implications to your life and meaning for you. Because without you, something's missing. It's not whole. Amen? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of each and every one. That, God, the, the message and, you know, what I have said, Lord, I, I pray through, flow from your throne. But, God, more important than anything else is that you would speak, Lord, that you would minister, that through the message, God, you would speak to someone's heart, each one that's here, Lord. Let them hear from you. And for those, Lord, who are not you know, part of the church or not born again, the Bible says you must be born again. 
Today's the day for you to just call out to God, Lord, I need you. I have tried so many ways and so many things and I've never been able to release or get rid of the guilt and the condemnation of my sin. I've never been able to overcome what the demons have brought into my life. I've never been able to fully win the battle. Today I submit myself to you, Jesus. I don't know. I don't deserve it. I know I have messed up so bad. I've hurt so many. I don't know how you can forgive me. And Jesus says, watch me. I've already extended my hand to you. And all we do is by grace, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Today, just say, yes, Lord. I receive your forgiveness. I repent of my sins and I ask your help. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, turn my life. Help me, Lord God, to find that new heart. I lay it down right here. I lay it down right now, Lord. I, I surrender. And Jesus says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's that grace that saves us. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to walk out our salvation. And you need to do that by letting your roots go down. Your roots go down into sharing. Your roots go down into faith. Your roots go down into prayer. Your roots go into Bible study. Your roots go into the community here. And watch how God causes signs and wonders to happen in your life, through your life, because you have purpose.
Amen. You are the church, the body of Jesus, the body of God, the body that He has put together, and you are a part, peace that makes the whole. Amen. I love you. I pray God's blessings over you. Don't forget to grab your Lead the Way sheet. You can take that home. Uh, coming up, as I, I told first service, next week, Pastor Trevor has a, an amazing message that he's going to bring. And then the week after that, we have a, a, a guest speaker, Dr. Sam Thomas. He is from a uh, very gifted speaker, and very much he's going to deal with and speak to us about the times that we have. And then the week after that, we'll start the Behind the Curtain series. So I pray God bless you. I pray God's face shine upon you. And church, I, I release you. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. So go be the church. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.